Do you remember in the good old days, you know the good old days uh, in Baptist life in particular where during a service the preacher might end up saying, "Uh, Brother Doug, stand up and lead us in prayer. No warning, right? You just had to get up and wing it. Remember those days about praying and, and the preacher, I don't know if the preacher exercised a little ill will about that, of watching Doug really get worried, and, but that's the way it used to be in church. You had to stay on your toes. Uh, we're going to talk about prayer today, and I wondered if we have any really embarrassing prayer stories. Of course we do. Turn to your neighbor and share your most embarrassing prayer story. No, don't, don't do that because I've got one for you. I was in the ninth grade, I was in a brand new junior high, and there were two of us who had ever played football together, ever played football, period, and so we had a bunch of uh, civilians, I would say, who didn't know anything about playing football. We lost every game, we scored one touchdown in the whole year. It was terrible. Those of you who went to Arlington in your mission trip, This is the time of year when we would be working out, and it would be 115, and uh, so here we were at a game, and I was, uh, you know, we'd been pushing each other around and blocking and exercising. This is all in the pregame, don't you know? And we got together and got on a knee, and the coach said, Heron, lead us in the Lord's Prayer. This is before the game. What is he thinking? He called my name. It's like, I don't, I don't even know where I am. I'm hot and sweaty, and I'm not thinking about prayer. And so I said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I stopped because even I knew that that was the wrong passage. That was the wrong thing, but that was the only thing that popped into my brain. And I have never forgiven that coach for that. It was something that was unnecessary. I just did not know. In Jesus walking around life, that's what I call it. He had a walking around life where he wasn't really headed anywhere. He wasn't on assignment so much. He was just walking around. He had his He had his disciples with him, and they basically hung around the Sea of Galilee, all the little villages, one after another, about every 150 yards or 200 yards, there'd be another little village, and he would just open himself up to what might happen. And one day, one of the disciples said to him and just blurted out, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he did. They asked him about something that was self-evident. Jesus was a man of prayer. He didn't make a show of it by going to the 50-yard line with a Supreme Court ruling in his pocket. He didn't do that at all. He just prayed quietly and regularly. He was the model for praying. It dawned on me one day that prayer isn't a message scribbled on a note and stuffed into a bottle and tossed out into the ocean in hopes that someday it'll wash up on the shore of God's beach. 
Prayer is communication with God, and we speak to God, and God touches and embraces and shapes and changes us. Whether we pray for rain, as we're probably praying these days, or when it's too much, we pray for sunshine. Our prayers are answered because in the act of praying, we receive the gift we really seek, intimacy with God, the whole purpose of prayer. Luke chapter 11, that's where we are in our, our series of sermons about ordinary life, ordinary time. He was praying at a certain place. I don't know what that means other than it might imply he had a regular place that he hung out in for prayer. Maybe that's where he would go. Maybe that's what was going on. He was just following his usual practice. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say this. And this Luke version is slightly different than the other version that we get. Father, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. And for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. That's it. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And the man inside answers him and says, don't bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And then Jesus goes on and says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything out of friendship, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And he goes on, so I say to you, ask and it would be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That's what he just said. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish? Ugh. Or if the child asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Lord, teach us to pray, this disciple asked. No matter how fast or how slow we run in life, in our hectic lives, we often find ourselves desperately in need of God so we can tap into the divine power that we need for the day. We feel flat. We feel empty. We need to be juiced. We need to be energized for life itself. And the disciples could see, they could see with their own eyes that Jesus himself had a direct uh, relationship with God. They could see his habits of prayer. No matter how busy he became, he made time for the needs of the Spirit. He always took care of the needs of the Spirit in him. 
The gospel tells us often of the times Jesus took time away from the pressing needs. There was always something that needed doing, don't you know? Those needs that pressed upon him and constantly tugged at him so he could be with God. You remember earlier in the gospel before the, the stories really actually began to unfold, Jesus broke away and spent 40 days and 40 nights of prayer and testing in the desert. He knew, he instinctively knew that the days ahead would be challenging to him. They would be a test. And so he submitted himself to a boot camp type experience with the tester. It was fierce and it was lonely. He felt alone, but it was necessary for the rigors of ministry. He was laying down some resources for himself to draw upon as the story begins to unfold and move on. He had a calling that he had come to live. Later, when people were all around him, he, and it became too much to bear. You know anything about that? It was just too much. It was, you, you just can't keep up with the demands of that. He broke away to refuel his soul. Jesus was a spiritual man and he understood that he needed to have time with God. He would simply leave the disciples. He would wander off and the neediness that was all around him and he spent time in prayer so he had the strength to go on. Last example is this. Even on the eve of his suffering, Jesus led the disciples over to the garden. Come with me, he said, and watch and pray. And he spent time anguishing over the hours ahead. Jesus understood this clearly. No one can live the demands of the Spirit without taking time to stand before God, soaking in the presence of God alone. We can say that with finality. This is exactly the model of Jesus. This is what the disciple is asking to tap into. If it was true for Jesus, wouldn't it be true for us? I mean, we, should, we should just use some logic and say, here's the model. When it got really tough for Jesus, here's what he would do. And we can do that too. Most of us attempt to leave out this kind of spiritual work over the quietness of the soul in fellowship with God alone. We leave that out as if it's not important. And most of us struggle with prayer. It sounds simple, praying. Maybe it really is. Maybe it's not. You know the writer Anne Lamott? Anne Lamott in our last couple of decades has been a wonderful writer about spirituality and about honesty about her life. She wrote this a couple of weeks ago. Prayer means talking to God or to the great universal spirit. Prayer connects us umbilically to a spirit both outside and within us who hears and answers. Ever the comic she remembers the comedian Flip Wilson saying, I'm going to go pray now. Anybody need anything? Well, Flip Wilson knew how to pray, I guess. When Nelson Mandela traveled to Oslo to receive the Nobel Prize for Peace, he stopped off in Boston first, where he was welcomed at Harvard. They had a special chapel service just for him. 
And when he arrived, it was packed with both the curious and the committed. It was an odd mixture of people that were there. There were the hard-boiled professors and the edgy activists who showed up, crowded into Memorial Chapel to hear this little man of courage. Remember, at the time, Mandela had not been fully released from the old system from South Africa, the old paradigm of Dutch colonialism. He was still trapped in that. And the brutalism of the past had been relentless and oppressive. Mandela represented the shifting of the winds of change toward racial equity. And the room literally dripped with anticipation and the crowd seemed eager to embrace his call for change. This was a big deal moment. The whole country was listening to what he might have to say to these people. And it was as if an Old Testament prophet had been given air in his lungs and vital presence to come into the place in order that he might speak prophetically about what was going on, about how God was wiping away the injustices of the past so a new order could emerge. It was a very, very important moment. And when introduced, the crowd erupted. They just went crazy. Nelson Mandela was in their chapel. He was ready to speak, and they were so happy. And so he stepped to the massive pulpit of that great chapel, and a very quiet, hushed voice said to the people, I'm going to tell you what you most need to hear. The single most important thing that you can do for South Africa pray. Pray for my people. Pray for us and with us daily. Pray. That's what you can do. That's what will change the world, Mandela said. We can work ourselves to the nub, and often we do. There are moments we sort of ride in these wave after wave of too much heavy demands, expectations, we understand that. And it eventually, we collapse by the weight of it, unless we're connected to God through prayer. I live further west than you are, and I'm headed to a new place of ministry in a couple of weeks. And in this part of the world, if you head out onto the prairie, out onto the Great Plains, if you head out there this time of year, you'll soon find yourself immersed in a sea of sunflowers. Ever been out there at this time of year to see them? They're amazing. It's just startling. They're tall, they're big. Their bright, sunshiny faces are there. In their full glory, they're stunning to the senses. It's one thing to see, see three or four gathered together into a nice vase or a vase, and it's another to drive out there where the field is covered by them. And on your trip out onto the Great Plains, be sure to leave early in the morning because the sunflowers awaken at dawn. They come awake, they come alive, and they turn their faces toward the east. It's as if they all have decided to do this. They turn their faces to the east, and all across the arc of the day, they move their faces toward the sun until the sun settles in the west. This is a characteristic, a physical characteristic called heliotropism. 
Heliotropism. They turn their faces toward the sun all day long. They don't get confused about where they're to look. They methodically crane their necks. And you can see it throughout the day when the sun settles for the darkness of night facing the opposite direction from where they started. What we can learn is that it's important to mirror their behavior. When we get up in the morning, we start the day anticipating the rising sun and to face toward the rising sun and pointing ourselves in that direction, knowing that the appearance of God is sure and certain. It's going to happen. In the act of prayer, we turn our faces early in the day to greet the God who set the world in motion and is continually shining the love and favor of God upon the earth. And during the day, it is ours to stay fixed in God's direction so that we can be attuned to whatever God might want to accomplish in the world so that we might then be ready to play our part when we get the nudge on the shoulder to act or to say or to do something of kindness or positivity toward the world, something that God is reaching out for you to be involved in and to do and to be ready to play your part as God's partner. The attention we give God goes all the way to the end of the day, completed by the attention we give God and sense the companionship we feel with God's partnership. So we turn our faces to God in our thoughts and our attitudes, and God then shines the love and the glory on us all day long. The simplest thing that we can say about all that is that there's a, there's a simple goodness to that kind of life, a goodness that we can embrace in life. It's a grace that accompanies us in all our endeavors, and we ourselves can shine for God in that moment. The life of prayer is turning our attention to face the shining love and care of God, knowing that when we do, God is glorified in our living. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much for the gift of your sunshine, the sunshine of your grace and love. And we thank you that your grace and love shines upon us and is especially in sync with our willingness to turn our attention to you. God, help us to be ready for when that moment comes in which we are called upon to act or to do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.